welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What is a family? Does family conjure up good memories and feelings for you, or bad ones? It's in family that we're linked both to the past through our ancestors and to the future through our children. But scripture says it's more than propagation of DNA, it's also a mystery. Teaching team member Bob Cargo continues the series Calling with this message entitled Call to Family. Thank you for joining us today. Today, uh, here, I've got a little prop here. I've got something up here that I keep in my office. Uh, for years, I kept it on my desk. Uh, now, I'm keeping it on the credenza sort of behind my desk. Uh, but it's a hook and it's four rings. And it reminds me of something I say to bride and grooms at just about every wedding I officiate. Uh, commonly, when I officiate a wedding, I give to uh, brides and grooms the very same charge or exhortation toward the end of the ceremony. And I exhort them to do three things. I say, first of all, guard tenaciously your relationship with Christ. You will love each other more by loving him the most, and the Christ-centered marriage is the strongest marriage. Secondly, guard tenaciously your love for each other. Treat it like a garden to be protected against enemies, and you've got to work hard for that garden to grow. And thirdly, build all of your life, including your calling to be married, around this calling to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I often say something like this, today you're taking upon yourselves the calling as husband and wife. Someday, Lord willing, you'll be called to be mother and father. Uh, You've been called growing up to be son and daughter. Uh, You're called to be an employee somewhere, a business, a church, a, a school, a nonprofit. But there's only one calling that makes sense out of all those callings. Only one calling you can hang the rest on, and that is the calling to know Christ. And I would have you sort of envision the idea that this hook is the calling to know Christ. And every other calling you have in your life is a calling that needs to be hung upon that calling. David McNeely and I are here sort of coming off the bench, so to speak, to do a series for you about calling, the callings of our lives. Last week, uh, David kicked it off with the calling, our calling to Christ. It is the calling. It's the calling that's made possible by the gospel. It is the gospel. That we were separated from God because of our sin and rebellion. But God went to great lengths to reconcile us. Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we deserved to die. He was raised for us. And through that, we can know Christ. So the calling is to know Christ. As David put it, we're called to a man. We also want to let you know, when you're called to that man, you're also called on the one hand to certain privileges and blessings, and on the other to certain responsibilities and duties. In other words, the calling to this man, the man Jesus, changes every other calling. It redefines every other calling. It transforms every other calling. We're going to look at four different callings in this series. Today we look at the calling of family. Next week we'll look at the calling of work. The week after that, the calling to take the gospel message to the world. And then lastly, the calling to live in community in the church. Now when I think about those four topics and just four sermons, I want to say, David, what were we thinking? You know, those are all huge. How are we going to do that in four weeks? Well, we're going to see what we can do as we think about hanging those four callings upon the calling of Jesus Christ and see how it has all changed. Today, we're talking about that issue of family. And my guess is when you think about work, you think about calling. But when you think about family life, the word calling may never enter your mind. Am I right? 
But God has a, a paradigm shift for you and for me, and it's this paradigm shift. That if today you're a single adult, at least for now in your life, that singleness is the calling of God for you. If you are married, the spouse you're married to is God's calling for you. Maybe you married that person outside the revealed will of God. Maybe it was not wise for you to marry that person, really. But now that you're in this marriage, we know for sure, according to the scriptures, this is God's will for you for now. Now, there could be a caveat to that we're going to talk about at the end of the message. But for 999 people out of 1,000, the marriage you're in is the marriage that God has called you to be in. It's God's calling. The children that God has given to you, they're gifts of God. And your role in their lives is a calling. So the very essence of this message is basically to say, even if you don't like these people, you're called to them. <laughs> okay? Even if today you don't like them a lot, you're called to them. And that means the family you've married into and all of that extended family as well. What an amazing thing to think of. Now, here's the question. Are you thinking of these relationships? Are you thinking of this marital status? Are you thinking of, the, thinking of this singleness, if that's where you are in life? Are you thinking of it as a calling from God? Or are you simply thinking of it like the world would think about it? Has the idea of calling turned this upside down and right side up? for you. Now, we hope that in this message today that you can uh, track along with us. We want to look at one big idea of this message, the big idea, the main idea, and we're going to spend most of our time on that. Then we're going to look at two foundational truths, and then quickly in conclusion, seven guiding truths about this topic. Today's message is one that we would call uh, a topical sermon. That is, it's not an expository sermon where we take one passage and, and just sort of unfold that one passage. It's based on teachings we see all the way through in the scriptures. So in a moment, we want to just read some scriptures that sort of form a baseline of this message. But I hope you'll track with me as we see an important calling. In fact, let me ask you to stand as we look at God's Word today. Very quickly to read, really without comment, four passages we could have chosen, many others, about family life. First of all, a baseline passage is this, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And then notice, male and female, he created them. That was absolutely necessary. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house or the home or the family, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. In other words, neglecting your family to work. Relax, God grants sleep to those he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They'll not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies in the gates. Ephesians 5, 31 to 6, 4. For this reason, he's quoting here from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and he has just said, as Christ loves the church, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. 
The last passage in this context is really not about family life. It's a doxology of praise to God for how we have been saved by God and his sovereignty. But it applies to all of life. And this is what Paul says in Romans 11. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Thanks. Please be seated. Let me repeat this last verse. All things, even your family, from him, through him, to him. What does that mean? That means the family you grew up in, your family of origin, as good as it was, as bad as it was, with all of its ups and downs, is from God. You're to love and serve those people through God to the glory of God. If at this point in your life you're a single adult, that singleness is from God. You're to live it out through God, all to the glory of God, lifting it back to him. The spouse that you've been given, if you're married, the children that have been given to you are from God. You're to serve them through the power and grace of God, all to the glory of God. And we hope as we talk about this and unpack it today, I hope you really grab on to two things. One is the call of God, and secondly, is the redeeming grace of God. I am called, but God will give me forgiving grace, cleansing grace, and empowering grace. Please don't leave today with only hearing one of those two. God has called you. It's a serious calling. But along with that calling, he will give you cleansing grace, and he will give you empowering grace to whatever situation to which he has called you. Now, because the topic of calling is so big, because the topic of family is so big, I don't want you to miss the big idea today. If I could put it in neon lights, I would. I can't put it in neon lights, but here it is. On the screen and in your uh, keeping in touch panel on the points to remember, hope you'll notice it as we go ahead. The big idea is this. The world views family matters and as matters of choice for the sake of personal happiness and fulfillment, but in reality, our families are holy ground. Family choices and circumstances are God's calling for his own glory, for our greater good, and for our deeper joy. Family as God made it and redeems it is a calling to reflect who he is as creator and redeemer. Could I ask you to read that last sentence out loud with me, please? Family as God made it and redeems it is a calling to reflect who he is as creator and redeemer. Imagine your life at this point, whether you're a single adult or married without children or married with children. Imagine your family as a mirror. God wants the world to be able to see in the reflection of that mirror, the reflection of who he is as creator. That they would see a bit about his power, about his majesty, about his character, about his personhood even. That here is a wonderful mystery that we have one God but in three persons with perfect love for one another as they look at your family and how your family has been created and recreated in Christ. They get a picture of the greatness of God as creator. And then also as they look at the mirror which is your family life, that they see there a reflection of the gospel. They see a reflection of Jesus as Savior and they see his redeeming love. They see his transforming grace. And when people see you as a single adult or you as a married couple or you as a family, there's something that points them to Jesus as Savior because of how you relate to each other and the grace of God that flows through you. Let me sort of connect the dots even with my own story. I was born as a second son to H.C. and Martha Cargo in Gadsden, Alabama. 
And for the time that my parents were alive, my call was to serve them and to honor them because my relation came, relationship with them came from God. It was to be lived out through God to the glory of God. Now, that made it easy for me because they were wonderful parents to me. Not perfect. A lot of sins of omission. But God gave them to me, and my calling was to use that relationship for the glory of God. When I was in my late, my late 20s, I met and then married Margaret Ann Ruff from Tupelo, Car Tupelo, Mississippi. She became Margaret Ann Cargo. Now, I didn't get to choose my parents, but I did get to choose my wife. And that's a good thing. I like that about our culture, personally. I'm really glad we're not in these cultures where sort of your parents get to choose for you. I loved my parents, but I would not have wanted them to choose my wife, I'll tell you. <laughs> When Margaret Ann came along, we fell in love with each other, but we married each other not just because our emotions drew us in that direction. We married because I felt ca called of God to be her husband, and she felt called of God to be my wife. And that calling changed everything. And you need to understand that our calling is not just about our happiness. Our calling is to serve each other. According to this passage of scripture that we've read in Ephesians, there is this mystery of marriage that I'm to love her and lay down my life for her as Christ laid down his life for the church. And she is to trust me and follow me, so to speak, as the church would trust the Savior, so to speak. And in that picture, there's the reality that though we are happy with each other, I'm so happy I married her. And I think four days out of five, she's happy she married me. I really think... I've got an 80% batting average, I think. I'm batting 800, I think, maybe. But really, our marriage is not about our immediate happiness. Our marriage is about laying down our lives for one another for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And as we have done that for almost 30 years, God has given us a deeper joy and a deeper meaning and a higher joy and hopefully the glory of God. God has given to us two wonderful sons and two wonderful daughters, all now in their 20s, and one daughter-in-law. And we could not be any more happy with who they are and how God has made them. Like perhaps with any family with children, yes, we had a choice whether we would, quote, try to have kids. But like any other family, we didn't, we didn't choose when they were born or what gender they are or what personality they have. We love them. We're crazy about them. You know what? God did not call us into their lives, and God did not call them into our lives so that they would serve our happiness. And you need to understand that we live in a culture that overwhelmingly tells parents, your children exist for your happiness. That's not a biblical way to think. God didn't give you children so that you could make them happy. God gave you children so that you could serve them to lead them to be holy. And that's a different way to approach parenting. It's a different way to approach the call to be a mom and a dad. Yes, it's hard and sometimes it's not happy, but it leads to a deeper joy and a higher purpose and a higher goal and hopefully the glory of God. At the center of all of this is what? It's a marriage. In the beginning, what did we see that God created? He created Adam and then he created Eve. And as one a pundit has put it, God put in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. So that ought to give us a clue about God's uh, intentions there. That's as far as I'll go on that topic, okay? <laughs> Pretty corny, and I don't want to be too trite with it. 
But truly, honestly, if this issue of same-sex marriage is the understanding that in the beginning, God reflected his image with male and female, there is something holy and there is something deep about us being made in his image as male and female. What we need to understand is that marriage is spiritual, it's holy, it's bigger and deeper and more significant. You need to understand this, it's more than two people feeling attracted to each other and feeling love for each other. The scriptures give some boundaries about marriage, even between a man and a woman, of when marriage is okay and when it is not, and is simply more than an emotional attraction. If you are facing your marriage and going through marriage with this mentality, this marriage exists for me to be happy. I can guarantee you something. You will never be happy in that marriage. God has a calling this bigger and deeper. This is the way Larry Christensen put it in his book, simply entitled The Christian Family. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote and said this, marriage is more than your love for each other. It has a higher dignity and power for it's God's holy ordinance. In your love, you see only your two selves in the world. But in marriage, you are a link in the chain of the generations which God causes to come and to pass away to his glory and calls into his kingdom. In your love, you see only the heaven of your happiness, or I might add, you see today the hell of your current unhappiness. But in your marriage, you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and mankind. Your love is your own private possession, but marriage is more than something personal. It's a status, it's an office. In Christianity, there is set before man and wife the task of representing upon earth the image of this union between Christ and his church, an image of self-sacrifice and devotion and fidelity In ancient times, marriage at its best had been a moral relationship. But in Christian marriage, we see something higher still, a mystery, a mystery. Do you see what he's saying there? Do you get the the gravitas of that? Your marriage is not just about two people being happy today. There's a powerful, powerful meaning to your marriage. Now that means this. In the room here today, I know without a doubt, not because I know any one person's story, but because I know the percentages of lives and of families after 30 years of being a pastor. In this room, there are probably a number of people that are thinking about walking out on your spouse. And I need to tell you today, it's not that easy. God calls you to do something bigger, deeper, harder than walking out because you're unhappy. He calls you to work through the unhappiness that God's redeeming grace can change your marriage. There are people here in this room who have children who have driven them to the end of their rope. Those children may be four years old or those children may be 34 years old. And you feel like deserting your children. You can't divorce your children legally, but you can emotionally desert them. I'm here to tell you today, God is not calling you to emotionally desert your children. He's calling you to work through the very hard responsibilities of being a mother and a father and bring the redeeming grace of Lord Jesus Christ that somehow you can love and serve and lead your child, your son, your daughter in the direction of Jesus. There are others of us here that are sons and daughters of parents who are gosh awful to us. I'm not asking you to put up with abuse. If you're being abused in any way, go get help 
and force that person to get help. There are times that that abuse from a parent is so severe that the relationship is broken forever. But I'm here to tell you today, the hard truth of the gospel is you can't pick up your toys and run away quickly. You have to do everything you can by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to lead even that abusive parent to repent, to believe, to be changed. And to believe that perhaps somehow God could redeem even this situation. God calls us to something in family life that is deeper, that is more powerful, that is holy. And so it's not just about being happy today. I need to tell you, every Christian pastor and every Christian counselor hears this refrain over and over again. Someone comes into the office to sit down and talk, and they talk about their marriage. And the refrain goes like this, I've got to leave this marriage because I'm so unhappy. Or perhaps it's expressed this way, what we had at the beginning of our marriage was great, but everything has changed. Nothing is the same anymore. Or this spouse is just not giving me what I need anymore. The refrain is always the same, almost always. And the calling is not to live for today's happiness. You see, part of the, part of the challenge in marriage is to realize that there are going to be some things that never change and some things that always change. And try to figure out what they are. Years ago, I heard a businessman who was, he and his wife did a lot of marriage retreats. Very, very funny guy with Southern humor out of Mississippi. And he said, you know, every, every woman marries her husband thinking she can change him. And he never changes. And every man marries his bride thinking she'll never change. And she always does. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that. And to understand I hoped my spouse would change in this way, and he and she have never changed. I was hoping my spouse would never change this certain way, and boy, is he or she different. But by the grace of God, there's something bigger. There's something more powerful. There's something more holy. See, the problem is the condition of our hearts. I know when Margaret Ann and I have been through, through troubled times in our marriage, and we've had some along the way, I've always been tempted to point at her about things in her that are the problem. And every time that I've been honest, God has turned all my pointing fingers right back at me and said, Bob, the problem is not her. The problem is you. The problem is you. And the problem is the need of our hearts of what Martin Luther called the, the phrase that we are curved in upon ourselves. Let me read you this little sentence or two from his commentary on Romans or lectures on Romans. He says, our nature by the corruption of the first sin is so deeply curved in on itself that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts, but also fails to realize that it so wickedly, curvingly, and viciously seeks all things, even God for its own sake. Let me paraphrase that because it's hard to understand a guy that lived in the 14th century or 15th century. What he's saying here is this, that the very nature that we all have is to try to take the good gifts of God and instead of simply enjoying them as a good gift, we twist them around and we turn in on ourselves and try to use them in a selfish and self-centered way. And that happens with our families and it happens with our work and it happens with our children. And Luther says here, it even happens with God himself, that I would take God himself and I would take all of his gifts instead of enjoying them in the appropriate manner my heart is so curved in on itself, I try to take those good gifts and be a user. And I try to take those good gifts and manipulate them 
for my own selfish, self-centered happiness today and right now and every day. And the irony of the way that God has made us is this, is that when I try to take my family life, my marriage, my parenting, my parents, my brothers, my sisters, whatever, my singleness, and when I try to use that selfishly for my own end, I make myself miserable and everybody around me miserable. But when I use those things as a calling of God, and I bow before my calling of God in those things, then eventually when I work through the periods of unhappiness and hardship, I find a deeper joy, and I find a greater good, and I find the glory of God on the other side of it. That's the good news of how God redeems families. Do you see here the calling of God, but the power of redemption? I think I find no other way better to tell you that story than to pick up on a story that Randy started just a few Sundays ago. He mentioned a couple who came to Perimeter early in the days of Perimeter who came to him when they were divorced. Well, that couple ended up being one of the founding couples in town church. And during the years that I was there, Morgan Ann and I became close friends with Steve and Marla. In fact, they were in the church that we uh, led in Orlando for a while and We've stayed close to them through the years. And uh, figuring that probably Randy was telling that story, I got in touch and I said, I want you to remind me of some of the details of your story because I think it really illustrates what this sermon is about. Remind me, when were you married? How long were you divorced? And then when were you remarried? So they were married in 1978, divorced after one and a half years of marriage, and then remarried a year and a half later. I said, why did you get a divorce? This was Marla's answer. Why the divorce? Well, being good had not gotten me the happiness I wanted, so I decided to be bad. I remember the very day in the stairwell of Georgia State when I decided I was going to be happy no matter what, and being happy no matter what included ending my marriage with Steve. Steve said, I think that fundamentally, fundamentally I didn't know how to have a deep relationship with anyone. When we encountered some of the normal struggles early married people face, we didn't have a support system. We didn't have a foundation on how to deal with it. I asked him to tell me again how things changed. Marla said, I became a Christian after fearing for my life at the hands of the guy I was dating after I divorced Steve. I prayed the prayer to receive Christ on October 31st, 1980. Then I started dating a guy on Young Life staff. After several weeks, he told me he couldn't date me anymore until I considered whether or not God would have me remarry Steve. I thought he was nuts. Nuttier than the guy that made me afraid for my life. He really didn't know what to do with me, so he turned me over to Randy. I was hoping Randy would find me a loophole so I didn't have to remarry Steve. <laughs> Randy said a biblical out wasn't what I should seek, but I should seek what might be God's best for our lives. Someone, someone shared with me Corey Tim Boom's prayer, I will to will the will of God. And I started to pray that because at first I didn't even want to consider praying about remarrying Steve. There were a lot of leaders in the Young Life community that came around me at first. But at some one point, I literally shook my fist in the air and prayed this, fine, if you want me to remarry Steve, you have to make him ask me out. You know where this is going, don't you? I saw Steve a few weeks later at a party, and he asked me out. Steve says, on that date, Marla told me her faith story, and I could tell she had been transformed, but I was very skeptical and wary of the Jesus talk. I'd been there. I'd done that. 
She challenged me to check it out for myself, to decide up or down. I ended up getting connected with some leaders in Young Life who met with me weekly. I even attended Young Life courses with high schoolers, read the Bible and all the books that they recommended. Slowly, a true picture of God emerged in my need for him. One day, as I was reading Romans chapter 8, I was taken by God's call on my heart and knew he loved me, and I prayed to receive Christ. I asked them, fill in the blank, we got remarried because what? The reason we got remarried, Marla says, was we believed God was asking us to do it out of obedience to his perfect will for our lives, not because we had feelings for each other. We certainly liked each other a lot, but no romantic love was there anymore. Steve said the reason we got remarried was we had a real belief that as a loving God, don't miss this, God could create in us what we had never experienced before, but we needed to take a step of faith. I ask, how does a sense of calling change your marriage? And Marla says, knowing these things are a calling keeps us committed to making it work. It gives us the motivation to do things for the glory of God. When you do things that way, joy follows instead of trying to make joy and happiness take the lead. And Steve said, our culture and too often the church plays a role in setting us up for a smaller story rather than our role in the big story that God has for our lives. A few months ago, David and I preached about the issue of work, and we talked about the big story of creation, fall, redemption, consummation. I'm here to tell you, when you understand and believe the story of creation, fall, redemption, consummation, it not only changes the way you work, it changes the way you live your life as a single adult. It changes the way you live your life as a husband or a wife. It changes the way you parent your children. It changes the way you respond to your mother and your father, whatever age you are. It changes everything. There's the calling of God, and there is the redeeming grace of God. Now, I've talked a long time on purpose on one main point. Let's land the plane quickly by looking at two foundational truths and seven things that the Bible tells us. Two foundational truths. Number one is this. The very idea of family comes from who God is. By talking to someone here today, and you find yourself touched by Stephen Marlowe's story because you're in a hard marriage. And you're thinking, but I don't want to hear what you're telling me. You need to understand that your faithfulness in this marriage is a reflection of who God is. There's something big at stake. The Bible says, in fact, marriage comes from him. Back in that, that chapter of Genesis we read, out of Genesis 1, God created us in his image, male and female. There's something mysterious and beautiful that God had to make us male and female both to reflect who he is. In some mysterious way, if it had only been male, if it had only been female, it wouldn't have reflected the greatness of God. You ladies need to understand, women need to understand, that most all of us men are in awe of the power and the tenderness and the differences of femininity. The attraction is not simply a sexual attraction. It's an attraction and a respect that there is something in you that reflects the image of God that is not in us. And we're in awe of that. And even when I think about the strength and the tenderness it takes to bear a child and birth a child and nurse a child and be a mother to a child, there is something in that experience that makes me as a man be in awe because it shows part of the greatness of who God is. That's reflected in you, that's not reflected in me. 
In Ephesians 5, as we've already read, there's the picture of our redemption. How God the Father and God the Son chose to save us. And then how the God the Son, how Jesus loves the church and the church loves Jesus. The, the question in marriage is, who gets to be Jesus in this marriage? And the answer is, both of you do. The wife gets to be Jesus as she reflects how God the Son submitted to someone his equal, God the Father. And in the same way, in your submission to someone who is no better than you, you reflect how Jesus and how the Father and how the Spirit saved us. The, 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 the husband gets to reflect Jesus and how he lays down his life for his wife, just as Jesus has laid down his life for the church. Who gets to be Jesus in this marriage? You both do. And your calling in that regard is a powerful calling. And the redemptive grace of God will be with you in that calling. So not only is marriage a reflection of the image of God because we're created male and female, but also in the Bible we see the centrality of the theme that God is our Father. A few verses out of Ephesians 1.17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you may know him better. Ephesians 2.18, for through him that is Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access to the Father by one spirit. Ephesians 3.14, for this reason I kneel before who? Before the Father, from whom the whole family, or maybe it could be translated, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. As Ryan pointed out to us, when Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray saying what? Our Father. I love how C.S. Lewis put it in this paragraph where he describes his friend George MacDonald, another intellectual and another great writer. And he says about George MacDonald, an almost perfect relationship with his father was the earthly root of all his wisdom. From his own father, he said, he first learned that fatherhood must be at the core of the universe. I love that. He was thus prepared in an unusual way to teach that religion in which the relation of father and son is of all relations the most central. See, this is the foundational idea. Marriage comes from the heart of God. And that's why you need to understand, my friends, please hear me in this. That's why sins against the family are sins against the very nature of God. And that's why when a family is redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God, that redemption shows the redeeming gospel of God itself. It shows the very heart of God when God takes a family that is broken and falling apart and redeems it and changes it. When a wandering husband repents and comes home, when a wife that is fed up with her husband says, I'll still keep loving you, even though I don't feel like you deserve my love. When a father or a mother keeps pursuing a child that's running away, taking the gospel to them, when a son or a daughter will follow the lead of a parent, even when that parent is far from perfect, when God shows up redemptively in the life of a family, people see the gospel in a most powerful way. That's the first foundational truth. Secondly is this, the power to live out our family callings comes from the power of the spirit of his son. We can lay down our lives for each other only in the power of the one who laid down his life for us. Hear me today, God redeems families. Jesus died to redeem families. You may have been hearing the sermon so far, and you may have been thinking to yourself, Bob, I cannot lay down my life for these wretched sinners in my house. You have no idea about this woman God has called me to live with. You have no idea about this man I call husband. 
you have no idea how whacked out my children are. I don't know them, but I do know this. The God redeems families. And it's true, you and I can't lay down our lives for the members of our family in our own power. Why? Because we're wretched sinners. But we have an elder brother who laid down his life for us when we were wretched sinners and he was not. And he gave his back to be tortured for us to make us sons and daughters. And he held out his hands and he gave his feet to those who had nails and hammers And he put himself upon a cross and he bled there and he died there so that we would be sons and daughters. And in the power of the spirit of sonship and daughtership, we would have the power to lay down our lives for one another and we would be forgiven for all the times we've blown it as sons and daughters and husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. That's why he gave himself. And that's his spirit that can empower us to have families like we've never had before to have an experience as a single adult like we've never had before because he laid down his life for us. Galatians 4 says this, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. Because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. The truth of the matter is I may be a preacher, but I can't be the husband I need to be. I can't be the father I need to be without the cross of Jesus Christ. I need the cross for my forgiveness, and I need the cross to empower me to lay down my life for my family. Let's close very quickly with these, some guiding truths. Those are foundational truths, some guiding truths. There's some things that we all know are only by the wisdom of God. There are other things we know that are the revealed will of God. On the back of your outline, here they are. I know these things are the will of God for you, and I know it because they're in the Bible. Number one is this. Our families are not to be an idol, an ultimate love, a pseudo-savior or Lord. Parents, husbands and wives, sons and daughters can never meet the deepest needs of our hearts. Let me tell you, I think this is the greatest sin of North Atlanta. Taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Making an idol of our children so that we are thrown into deep despair when they're not what we wanted and having inordinate pride when they are what we wanted. Families are good families, but families are not good saviors. Families can be good families, but families are not good lords. Don't make your family your savior. Don't make it your Lord. Don't make an idol of it because when you do, you're robbed of your power to be what God wants you to be. Number two is this, both singleness, whether by choice or by circumstance, and marriage are both callings to serve. I've noticed through the years that singles think that marriages haven't made, and marriages think that singles haven't made. Marriages think that singles can live a self-centered life, and singles think that marriages can live a self-centered life. And the truth of the matter is, whether you're single or whether you're married, God has called you to use your singleness in your marriage to serve the kingdom of God. You're called to serve. Number three, marriage is only to be in the Lord, only to marry another follower of Jesus. And sexual intimacy is set apart for marriage alone. God's not trying to be a killjoy with that commandment. He's trying to give you deeper joy with that commandment. Number four, divorce only for adultery. It is permitted when someone has committed adultery, but if there's repentance, I sure hope there's grace to forgive and to carry on. But you need to know this, God has not called you to stay married to a serial adulterer. There is a way out in that circumstance. There's not a way out just because you're unhappy. 
Number five, called to be parents, your children belong to God. Be afraid and then relax. (laughs) And I do mean both of those. Your kids belong to God. There's something fearful about that. You better work hard at being a mom. Work hard at being a dad. These children belong to God, and he cares how you take care of his children. But then after you're afraid, then relax. Because God is going to do things in their heart that you can never do. He will take care of them and parent them when you fail. Number six, in learning to honor our parents, we learn to honor God. If we can If we can honor fallen moms and dads, we can learn to honor God. And lastly, family calling above and before the calling of work. It's a bigger, it's more important. Next week, I'll talk more about the calling to work, and I'll share with you my failure in this regard and how God redeemed me and re-redeemed us. Let me close with simply this. It's, It's a story that illustrates a word picture that I want to leave you with and an experience I had in preparing this message. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is tending his father-in-law's sheep in a, in a barren part of the Middle East, but it looked like all the rest of the ground around him. But God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, but the bush was not consumed. And then God spoke to Moses through that burning bush, and he said to him, among other things, Moses, take off your shoes Take off your sandals because you're on holy ground. As I was preparing this message, I thought to myself about the awesome privilege and the awesome responsibility of being the husband of Margaret Ann Ruff. And I thought about the awesome privilege and the awesome responsibility of being the father of Hayes and Missy and Eason and Callie Cargo and the father-in-law of Sally Cargo. And I don't weep as often as I should. But normally when I weep, it's in corporate worship or when I'm preparing a sermon, and it happened again. And as I thought about that privilege and that responsibility, I sat at my desk, and the tears started coming down my eyes. I thought, oh, God, what a privilege, and what a responsibility. And I thought to myself, this is holy ground. It's holy ground to be married to this woman. It's holy ground to be a father to these young men and women. And someday, Lord willing, it will be holy ground to be a grandfather to the grandchildren that God gives us. I'm not up to that calling. But I do know this. If God has called me by the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ, he will empower me. He will give me grace. He will give me strength. And every day that I blow it, he'll forgive me again and again and again. My friends, that's the holiness that we're called to. Will you join me in a sense in your heart of taking off your shoes in your family life? This is holy ground. God, you've called me. Please empower me. Please forgive me. I need the gospel in my family. But the good news is God redeems families. He wants to redeem yours. Let's pray as we close. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you do redeem families. Lord, thank you that you redeem families like mine. Thank you that you redeem families like Ryan's. Thank you that you're so good to us. You're so gracious. Thank you that you're our Father, and you love us. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. 
Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.